Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This podcast exists because of the paid members at DecodingTV.com. Sign up to be a paid member, get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, and occasional exclusive bonus episodes that we'll make just for you. Thanks to everyone at DecodingTV.com who makes this podcast possible. So why don't you come out with that? Because a burden shared may either be halved or doubled, depending on the heart that receives it. Oh, owl is beard. Enough with the quail sauce. Give me the meat and give it to me raw. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV. I'm David Chen. (laughs) You did not pick that line to introduce this podcast, David. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to today's. (laughs) Welcome to today's discussion about Lord of the Rings: The Rings of Power. Literally tearing up right now. Yeah, I mean that. But but just so you know, that is what I say to Don before we begin every episode of this podcast. Give me the meat and give it to me raw. I'm talking about the meat, the meat of Tolkien's writing, of course. Of course. (laughs) You you okay there, Don? (laughs) You broke me. I thought you were going to do like a Gil Gallad line. All right. Anyway. Ooh, okay. Okay. Composure. <laughs> oh, hi, everybody. I'm Don Marshall. <laughs> Today, Ooh. we're going to be discussing season one, episode five of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. The episode title is Partings. You can always find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com and find us on Twitter and YouTube at decodingtv. Don Marshall. Uh, before we dive into this week's episode of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, uh, I wanted to react to some of the feedback and the tweets and such that we've received about some of our previous work. One of those things being about the multiple timelines theory that was put forward on the podcast last week. Uh, and so this theory runs along the lines of like, the Harfoot stuff feels very disconnected to the rest of the stuff that's happening in the show. This could just be because we're bouncing around different areas of Middle-earth, or it could be because it's taking place in a different time than when the rest of the events of the show take place. A lot of people objected to this timeline, or to this theory, saying, hey guys, I don't know if you saw in like episodes one and two, everyone saw the meteor coming down from the sky, and therefore the meteor kind of joined them all into one world and one timeline. I brought this up to you, Don Marshall, and you had a really quick uh, response to it, right, Don? I did. I did. Multiple meteors. Multiple meteors. And <laughs> here's here's actually, we'll get into it when we get into the Southland stuff. I think I am even now more on board with the multiple timelines theory because of a very specific sequence of scenes that we see in a Galadriel Halbrand scene, as well as a Southland scene sort of mixing together. 
Mm, I am actually after this week's episode less on board with the multiple timeline mm, theory for okay. reasons that will for reasons that we'll get into for reasons Let's that we'll talk about into. it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, okay, and then there's one other thing I just wanted to mention real quick, Don, which is that uh, this is a question I wanted to ask you for like the last month. But basically, in the first or second episode of the show, Elrond goes to Durin's home of Casa Doom and participates in a rock breaking comp- uh, competition, and uh, he loses. And the punishment of losing is banishment from Casa Doom. But then Elrond is seen chilling and hanging out with uh, Durin's family for a long time after that. What gives, Don? What do you think? I think Doran just decided to change his mind. Mm. And that's, I, I, I'm chalking it up to just that. I <laughs> Nothing more, nothing less. It's like, eh, he's a temperamental hothead. I guess the prince changed his mind. And hey, if Doran third, his dad is okay with it, eh, whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, we did get that question a couple times, and uh, I've been having it myself. So I thought, going to pop it to Don this week. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that makes sense. Uh, okay. Of course, you can always tweet at us at Decoding TV on Twitter or email us at DecodingTV at gmail.com. Um, love the questions, love the corrections, and so on. Um, yeah, please keep me honest. Yes. <laughs> Don, let's get into Season 1, Episode 5 of The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Uh, episode title, Partings. Overall thoughts on the episode, Don Marshall. David Chen, I think that this was a 0 out of 10 because Diza is not in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and now for yes. my actual thoughts. Um, <laughs> this episode, I went back and watched it a second time, and I liked it better the second time. I'm really loving the series so far. Uh, they're making some choices, and I think they're committing to those choices. I don't agree with all of them. I think they could probably do things a little differently, but I'm not going to say it's bad because I disagree with those choices. Right? I don't think that makes it any less enjoyable for people that are, you know, haven't read the books or aren't as deep into the lore uh, as I am. We did see a couple of really nice moments in the show that I think shows the potential of what uh, this whole potential five seasons uh, could be. Um, We didn't see that sort of overall, for me at least, I felt like I didn't see that all the way through this episode. Um, I'd probably say my favorite is still episode four. Um, I also had some some questionable moments with the dwarves made a little bit more sense when I went back and watched it um the second time um but overall yeah i I thought it was an enjoyable episode how about you this was a pretty rough one for me don marshall not gonna lie no i thought it might be uh (laughs) and and i have to say like i don't think i'm alone in that reaction i've spoken with a few other people too and i think that like um this is probably one of the weakest episodes and one of the reasons for that i think is like many of the plot beats feel like reiterated from last episode or the the show feels to some degree like it's spinning its wheels um the galadriel numenor storyline doesn't feel like it's advanced really very much from last Mm -hmm. episode Mm -hmm. same thing with the harfoot storyline like the stranger does more creepy things and we don't know who he is and that's kind of that's kind of where we were last time we saw the stranger you know so so i think that um from a plot perspective it didn't really feel like that uh much moved along uh, I will say there was individual sequences in the show that are really, really brilliant. Like the when the Harfoots are traveling, which we're about to discuss, and there's all these aerial shots of them walking in this beautiful Middle Earth landscape, uh, and you hear the singing. It's yeah, actually Megan moving. It, oh, it is. Oh, I, I started it's moving. I started it's so beautiful. Up. It's so beautiful. Like it's just it's a it doesn't. And th- th- that's ki- kind of where I am with this episode, and to a lesser degree, like the show as a whole, which is mm-hmm. like. 
individual sequences I find to be like heart-stoppingly gorgeous, yes. beautiful, moving, really well done. How they all join together to have like narrative momentum going into the season, a little bit uh, more of a question for me. I'm, I'm I the think, same way. I think that the show is, and maybe we'll get to this a little bit more later, but I think that the show is simultaneously moving too quickly and not quickly <laughs> enough. No, I hear and let you. Me, let me explain what I mean by that. Yeah. Um, this episode ends with them kind of going off from Numenor to Middle-earth, right? And to fight the battles in the Southlands. It's a weird time for that to happen, in my opinion. Like, that moment, to me, feels like it should have happened either way earlier, so we could be part of the adventure earlier, because there's only, there's only three episodes left, or it should have been, like, the concluding moment at the end of season one, and that's kind of the cliffhanger. And then we spend season one involved in, like, the politics of Numenor and understanding more deeply what the relationship is between man and elves, um, what is it that people believe in terms of their religion or their feelings about the Valar and whether or not they should be going to help the elves again. Like, all of these discussions uh, should have taken place in a more drawn-out way so we could really feel the difference between these opinions and have them, like, battle each other out in a, in a form of ideas. But instead, it's happened at a very awkward time. So it feels both too fast in the sense that I feel like we didn't get, you know, we got a bunch of pronouncements about why uh, people think we should go or shouldn't go. Mm -hmm. And then we ended up going. Uh, so it's too fast in that sense. It's too slow in the sense that uh, I feel like there's not really enough episodes for this whole plot line to come to a satisfying conclusion by the end of season one. Yeah, no, um, I, I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly on that one. I think the the pacing they're making, uh, they're making very distinct choices. I don't mm -hmm. necessarily agree with all of those choices. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know if you were part of the whole like a huge explosion of theories way back when the first trailer came out. But there were thoughts and theories about like, or actually, I guess this would even be way before the first trailer came out. Uh, probably a couple months that, you know, they're going to focus on, you know, Elrond is going to be the focus in season one and we're going to see the elf kingdom. And then Galadriel is going to be all of season two. And it's going to shift a little bit to like a more political game of Thronesy type. And then season three is going to be, you know, more right. and coming together, the dwarves. And there was all this speculation and they're, they're sort of all doing it at once, but yeah, I'm definitely feeling like episode five, while I enjoyed it for those, like you said, individual moments, the sort of overarching story, story let i, I want to see them pick up the pace i want to see it all sort of come together and um i'm sort of trying yeah, it, to embrace it needs to be faster or slower that's what i'm trying to say yes, like yes. In, my, in my opinion it needs to be needs to go faster and get us to the adventure or go slower and really let us luxuriate in these dynamics of these different opinions that people have about mm -hmm, this stuff mm -hmm. but anyway let's dive into uh this in detail so we started with the harfoots as i just mentioned uh, Nori and, and the stranger have a conversation where I guess she's teaching the stranger English or whatever it is. The language, what's the language? In? It's it's just the common tongue. Yeah, the common That's tongue. Okay. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I, I did a. Um, uh, obviously, we're covering Andor here on Decoding TV podcast yeah. as well, and uh, there's a different language for like the language they speak in that show. Arabic. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, basic, I think it's called like the basic. Oh, is what's oh English. I'm sorry. Yes. It's called yeah. basic. Yeah. It's called basic in star Wars is what English. And so in, um, in Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, it's the common tongue. Um, uh -huh. so she's trying to teach, uh, 
Gandalf the common tongue, and they're going through... Uh, the Stranger. We don't actually know it's Gandalf. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you know tongue. something I don't. I don't. I don't know anything. I don't know anything. He's, she's teaching the Stranger the common tongue, and she says, you know, there's peril on the road, and he says, I'm peril? Uh, maybe hinting at the fact that he might become a danger for them. Uh, And then there's like a beautiful travel montage that's just like incredible. It's like one of the best sequences I've seen in a TV show all year. Like just easily beautiful, like beautiful scenery and beautiful music. And I'm just like, this is incredible. This is amazing. Megan Um, Richards with this wandering day song. Just I've listened to that probably like a hundred times, like already it's, it's gorgeous. Also, sorry, I do a quick correction. Arabesh is the written language in star Wars that we see. Um, Mm. And and so I just, you know, I'm a star Wars nerd. So I know I don't want the nerds to question my, my sci-fi experience as well. (laughs) No, they would never, they would never done. Okay. So then we see a group of like people wearing white armor with like white hair or no hair, short mm-hmm. hair. Uh, and they show up at the site of the meteor landing that contained the stranger in it. Mm-hmm. And they're inspecting things. And I think a lot of people thought this might've been Sauron when this was in the trailers, right? Yeah. So this is, um, this is actually a, if I'm remembering correctly, this is a birdie season. Um, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. And in the trailer that they released for Comic-Con, there was this assumption that this character that Birdie is playing uh, is Sauron. And the, everyone was up in arms. It's like, why'd they turn Sauron into Eminem? I was trying to not necessarily do damage control, but like, everybody chill. It's almost <laughs> certainly not Sauron. And if it is... I mean, the showrunners have been hinting that, like, maybe we've already seen Sauron. And they're just like, "Mm -hmm." Uh, listen, I don't uh, I don't want (laughs) to We could have a whole bonus episode about theories. Is there any way you can tell us why you think this isn't Sauron without spoiling anything? Uh, So this is actually one of the fun parts that I really like about this show is that for me, they're keeping they're keeping me in the dark too because there's no lore associated with this there were servants of sauron and servants of morgoth that you know in secret in the dark tried to like keep the the uh his power and bring him back but we don't really get a lot of detail we didn't know if they somehow turned their hair blonde or whatever uh so no i can't really tell you what this is other than probably a servant of Sauron or Morgoth in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, Don, uh, you also think that this scene gives more credence to the idea that the stranger is not Gandalf and possibly a Balrog. Yeah, I, I do. I'm, I'm starting to think that we're, we're going to have a, a little bit more of a bait and switch in either these last three episodes where sort of the timelines and or plot lines converge Or we're going to have a couple of big twists. We're going to find out who Sauron is. We're going to find out who Adar is. We're going to find out who the Balrog is. And to me, the fact that these evil people are being, uh, are are being sort of, uh, are searching for the stranger leads me to believe that if he doesn't have a memory, he's going to remember that he's bad and you know that's going to overtake him some way or another i'm i'm still i will say hesitant but this made me a little bit more sure that like yeah this isn't going to end well 
Right, because why would they be... First of all, these people wearing all the white clothing, they look evil, certainly. They do. Right? They do. They don't look welcoming. No. Uh, and why would they be looking for him unless he was originally part of their crew uh, or useful to them in some way? Uh, it does seem to lend credence to the, the concept that maybe the stranger is not completely benevolent. Yeah. So... I do also like... I, I kind of... In a way, I'm almost a little bit disappointed because I think the idea of like a non-binary actor playing Sauron like could be a very interesting choice. Like, I, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the Tilda Swinton Bob Dylan uh, movie. Yeah, um, uh, I think it's I, what's I'm, it called. I'm not there. Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, the yeah. I think Tilda Swinton would make an excellent Sauron because and Sauron I'm pretty sure it was uh, Kate Blanchett that was in that movie. Was it? Oh, was it Kate Blanchett? Yeah, yeah. I'm not there. This is the uh, Todd Haynes movie uh, that is about Bob Dylan. Yeah. Oh God! I, yeah. <laughs> oh no! Who am I thinking of then? Okay, never mind. We can <laughs> totally wrong person. Anyway, all of this is to say, I think uh, having this sort of uh, androgyny and um, and you know mis- mystery surrounding who Sauron is and who these people are uh, adds to sort of the flavor of this this Middle Earth adaptation that we're getting. Yeah. Um, okay. So we'll see. You, so you are fully off the, the Strangers Gandalf train at this point. Uh, I don't know if I'm off. I'd say I'm 70 30. 70 30 Balrog. Yeah. yeah 70 30 yeah. in favor of it's a Balrog. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So then the Harfoots are attacked by wolves. Uh, and the Stranger intervenes and picks one of them off before one of them eats Nori. And then he Hulk smashes the ground, as you put it in the show notes, scares the wolves off. Uh, but he's himself injured by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, he's he's again showing his utility to uh, the Harfoots. I will say, by the way, that one of the things that has been mentioned in favor of the stranger being uh, Gandalf is the idea that uh, all these adventures he's going on with the Harfoots might demonstrate why Gandalf has such an affection for the Hobbits later on in the Lord yeah. of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. It, and, the, and, and also the Hobbit trilogy. Yeah, yeah. And I think... That does seem uh, to be the most Occam's Razor, easiest explanation. I'm a sucker for a twist every once in a while when they sweep the the legs out from under me. But yeah, that's that's probably what's right. Um, I also, I don't know if if, uh, you picked up on this, there was a really cool detail when the stranger does the Hulk smash. He mm-hmm. hits the ground and the wolves go flying and the wolf that hits a uh, one of his, I think it's the back left leg, um, starts limping with the back left leg as if that is the one that's injured. I don't know why I picked that up, but I looked at that and I went, oh, that was just like a neat little CGI detail. Like they noticed what mm-hmm. part of the body got hit. They made that part of the body injured and then uh, limped away. I have my own theory about the wolves, though. Um, yeah, tell me about your theory about the wolves yeah, in this so- episode of Rings of Power. I won't say this is my theory entirely. This was actually uh, shown to me on Twitter by someone that goes by at Higgy baby. So at Higgy baby has a theory. We see the cultists tracking the meteor man. There are three of them. They appear over a cliff and then we see three wolves. Now, there are shapeshifters. There are werewolves in the Silmarillion. They are hinted at. We don't get a lot of detail about them. They're sort of talked about in very broad strokes. Um, but I like the Higgy Babies theory on Twitter that this may potentially be uh, 
a shape-shifting group of cultists that can turn into werewolf wolf people mm, perhaps we'll find out it's the mm-hmm. hickey baby by the way the it, yeah, yes it is the hickey yeah. baby yeah, yeah yeah all right so stranger comes in saves them there's a scene where he kind of puts himself in this water but then it becomes ice unclear what he's saying nori comes in to try to pull his hand out of the ice but then ends up getting her hand frozen herself uh and then he kind of pulls out there's this big blast and she's thrown clear and uh, and then runs away. It's kind of scary. Uh, I was worried that Nori was going to lose her hand in that scene. Uh, you know, I think it would have been very Game of Thrones of them to just straight up have one of the main characters lose her arm in episode yeah. five. Yeah. Um, certainly would have made for some character development, but given their level of like medicine and skill, I feel like Nori wouldn't survive that. So, Anything else you want to say about this whole Harfoot sequence of this episode? I- I'm I'm still enjoying the Harfoot stuff just because mm-hmm. to to me the stuff that feels the most connected with the lore honestly is the stuff that I am least connecting with as a viewer. Mm. Um, the Harfoot stuff feels like it's its own adventure just happening on its own, and oh, we're learning about the society, and and yeah, I'm I'm still interested and invested in this. The Galadriel stuff feels like it's moving along because the plot needs to move it in a certain way. Yeah. And that that yeah. to me, you know, that's why, you know, I know people differ in their opinion on this, but that, that's my feeling. I will say it's a chilling moment when that woman was talking with the guy in charge of the Harfoots and was like, we should have just left them behind. It's like, Jesus, these people are cold blooded, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a brutality. We should have just left them to die. Uh, it's like, okay, I guess. Anyway, yeah. uh, any other thoughts on this Harfoot stuff? Um, I want to give a huge shout out to Megan Richards who sang the song. I think this wandering day is uh, rivaling the uh, Pippin home is behind. So obviously not in the same like emotional weight because the, the Pippin song in return of the King um, is very sad. And this is again, just going along with that mentality that you taught me, David, no thoughts, just vibes and the landscape of New Zealand, right? The landscape shots are beautiful. Uh, the little montage of the travel. I was a little bit worried. We were just going to like watch them travel for five seasons in like a very, (laughs) a very boring Mad Max fury road, but with hobbits. Um, and that actually uh, sounds pretty awesome i'm just gonna put I, that out there i mean know? i'd watch it but it, yeah. <laughs> i don't think they, the tolkien estate would let us do that um but yeah no i'm i'm uh i really loved the song i do feel like this is part of what we were saying before where we're kind of spinning our wheels a little bit with the actual story because we know with the stranger he's got the magic it was not really anything <laughs> that needed to i almost feel like this could have been in the last episode episode four where we didn't see the harfoots and uh we could have maybe or like condensed it not all of the scenes felt necessary but you know again this is this is no fault of the actors or anything but just i think the pacing is a little yeah. uh, uh not not much new happens for the harfoots this episode no basically. no nori almost loses her hand uh the stranger learns some common tongue that's basically it so my great thumb oh. uh yeah yeah yeah, All right. That's what he says instead of migration. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the Elrond storyline. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm enjoying the Elrond Durin stuff because uh Elrond and Durin are such different characters in physical appearance, in style, you know, and just seeing 
two characters that are different kind of interact and and have a dynamic it, it's just like inherently interesting i think so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh they're having dinner and uh gilgalad asks Durin about hey uh, what are you guys what are you guys mining for down there and Durin gets really uh, he bristles at this question and he kind of returns by like saying like, Hey, where'd you get this table? Cause it's like this really rare, uh, mineral that only can be found in certain places. And it's basically sacred. You guys are basically committed sacrilege here. Uh, and so kind of puts them on the defensive. Uh, it's a, it's a really, I enjoy the scene. It's like a fun, you know, power move that Durin is making, uh, amongst the elves. And I appreciated it. Um, any thoughts on the dinner scene before we move on? I thought the dinner scene was uh, pretty well constructed. Um, the the elves to me here uh, strike me as a little bit less sort of fair and regal than they're described elsewhere, especially in the books. But like also very much like kind of power hungry still a little bit like the desire to maintain the realm. It felt very sort of like... Uh, game of thrones style conversation downton abbey uh dinner table discussions where like lots of things are going on around the dinner table where all of these people are sort of competing for their own best interests and trying to sort of one up each other meanwhile you've got elrond who is like the oh god michael from arrested development trying to bring everybody together you know (laughs) (laughs) exactly right and and it just kind of uh it kind of strikes me that like the dynamics are are really cool here i do i i do think it maybe i would have done it a little bit differently but this is just me personally as a lorna i would have liked to have seen sort of the the goodwill between the dwarves and the elves carry over from elrond to to gilgalad um and then maybe like maybe the elves push too far a little bit later um in and like there's there uh, it it strikes me as like there's a lot of political intrigue here but i kind of would have liked to see elrond succeed but as it turns out he has been more or less double crossed by everybody mhm mhm or at least kept in the dark i would say yeah so let's talk about that there's a scene afterwards with gilgalad and elrond Mm-hmm. Um, Gilgalad talks to Elrond and, and questions him, uh, and he asks him to recount a story. Can you tell us about this, Don Marshall? Yes. So this is a uh, lore, uh, Amazon lore, I'll, we'll call it. They're making up a a sort of origin for Mithril. Um, and I actually quite like the idea of having lore within you know a mythos within a mythology that is lord of the rings like of course the elves have their own mythology um this is what's known as the song of the roots of hithaiglir um this is according to elrond apocryphal so i think the it kind of feels like the writers wrote that as like hey listen we know we're making this up it's definitely not true this is not how mithril was created just let us have this cool cgi moment of a balrog uh and an elf fighting in front of a a cool tree um so i do actually want to point out a fun detail before we get to the story gilgalad says recount it elrond peradel and peradel means half elven and so it is almost like a an insult because i read it as an insult because elrond is half elven his father is human um and his mom was uh an elf and um they gilgal it almost feels as though uh he is saying like you are half 
elf. Don't call yourself a full elf here. I'm in charge. Almost like a power move. Yeah. Uh, basically. And, um, because he needs Elrond to do something for him. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's and basically like I what, am. What King. that is, I'm confused about, but we'll talk about that after this. Yeah. But and, and anyway. I'm sorry, I apologize. Uh, Elrond's dad is also uh, half elf as well, but he is gotcha. also half elfin. Um, but yeah, that is sort of their sort of origin of Mithril. Cool visuals, not really necessary. I mean, you could have just kind of kept it as like Mithril. It's a mineral that grows in the ground, uh, and then they have this sort of like big reveal that the the tree is dying. Uh, well, yeah, and th- the story he tells is like there is a battle between an elf and a Balrog, and uh, from their conflict, you know, their conflict seeped into this tree and into the ground, and that's how it became Mithril, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Mithril in the Lord of the Rings trilogy being pretty cool, uh, but this really does give it a whole other dimension of like, wow, it is this kind of impenetrable, extremely highly valued element. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that does, that does make those movies richer, you know, in my opinion. So, yeah. no, I, I, I agree. I think the, uh, just to kind of give you an idea of how tough it is or, or how powerful it is, the, there's a line in the fellowship of the ring, the mithril shirt that Frodo wears is worth the entirety of everything in the Shire, according to Gandalf. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. But uh, this was a complete show invention and you were cool with it because. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a nice little bit of like, I mean, they kind of acknowledge that like, yeah, we made this up. It's a, it's an apocryphal myth. There's no way to confirm it's true. Right. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, so I, I kind of like that they own up to it. It's like, yeah, we're making it up, but if, if it's cool, you let it slide. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. all right, all right. You're making a choice. Let's go with it. Gilgalad shows Elrond one of the trees is dying. It has this kind of pestilence on it. This blight, uh, an outer manifestation of inner turmoil is what he refers to it as. Uh, and that basically evil is on the up and up. And Mithril is potentially our way to stop it, right? Yeah. So this is, I think, a nod to what's known as the long defeat. The elves in middle earth that didn't go back to the undying lands after the war ended are basically fighting a war they know that they're not going to win it was like that in the first age where they're like yeah we're we're trying to fight against sauron's master but he's really strong we just keep you know losing and losing and losing we need help and then second age and it just keeps they keep losing and losing and losing and um the elves kind of at this point are realizing like we need something uh to to change all of that. And I, I have some, some potential theories about what this is sort of leading to if, uh, if we want to get into it. Well, they say that they need the mithril to potentially help stop this spread of evil, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that the mithril will help them like get back the light, right? Of, uh, yes. the, the Eldar, is that right? Uh, so the, the Valar, the Eldar the Valar, are, yeah. yeah, yeah. The Eldar means children of the stars. That's the word the elves have for themselves. The Valar are basically the gods of this yes. universe. Okay, got it. Um, and at the same time, we also know that they're working on this forge to make what I assume will be the titular rings of power. Yeah, this is this is kind of where I think the showrunners are going. It was crafted in a way that when I watched it the first time, I was like, wait, hang on, What? But this definitely feels like they are leaning towards a plot line where the dwarves mine the mithril, give some to the elves, 
the elves potentially use some of that mithril to craft the sort of elven rings maybe we see it in the last episode of season one or the beginning of season two and then those rings are used as mentioned in the fellowship of the ring movies to like maintain the kingdoms of of elves are all the rings made of mithril or do we not know what the rings are made of or do some of the rings have different makeups if i'm remembering this correctly and i apologize if i get this wrong i'm sure we'll get an email about it next week or a comment i believe not all of them are made entirely of mithril i think elrond's is gold with a sapphire inlay i think I, I just like the fact that some of the rings are made of this completely indestructible product that is com- fictional and yeah. magical. And then some of them are just gold <laughs> with a little little jade in it, a little sapphire, maybe some opal. I think you know? they might try and like infuse the mithril yeah. with the rest of the metals. I don't know. I'll see where they go with it. Okay. All here, right. Well, maybe unclear. maybe we'll, we'll follow up on this. But, but yeah. suffice to say, maybe the mithril will be – you're saying maybe the mithril will be used to make the rings? Is that what you're saying? Um, that's, I, that's where I think they're going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. We will see. We'll see. Now, here's where I get really confused about this episode, mm-hmm. Don Marshall, is that there yeah. is this conversation where Gilgalad says – Hey, uh, if if you know anything about Mithril, you gotta tell me, because the whole kingdom depends on it. And then Elrond's like, "Well, I swore I would keep sec- like the whole stuff going on in the mountain secret, um, and I can't break my oath to a friend. You know, that's pretty uncool." And Gilgal's like, "Okay, but like, just so you know, the fate of the universe literally <laughs> depends on it. You know, and and then at that point, I'm like, what What is the secret? Is it like?" where the mithril is located is it that they are mining for mithril at all because the fact that elrond is being so cagey about it should be an indication that there is freaking mithril in cosmic yeah. you know what i mean like yeah. Should, yeah. any normal human person analyzing the situation be like elrond's not re- saying that there's mithril there. that's you watch the scene you're like there's, there's mithril there and he's not saying it um why is the secret like is, what is the nature of the secret that uh elrond is keeping or what is the nature of the oath in your opinion, Don Marshall. Oaths are really important in Tolkien. And to me, uh, just full disclosure, right up front, I don't know. This is one of those parts (laughs) that I don't think made much sense to me watching it the first time. I'm like, wait, I don't know if I agree with this direction that they're going. Um, But it definitely is important when it comes to oaths. There was something back in the first stage known as the Oath of Feanor, and that's when all a bunch of the elves uh, you know, swore to go and fight Sauron's master. It's basically the whole prologue of that first episode of Rings of Power. Um, and when you break oaths in Tolkien's universe, it can have some pretty disastrous consequences depending on what you swear by. Remember in The Two Towers, Gollum swears on the ring, right? And the there's there's so many, you know, oaths that are made that if you break it, bad things are going to happen, whether the the gods are going to sort of like smite you where you stand or cause something bad to happen or you meet with a with a terrible doom. Um, But I think the showrunners are trying to go with a more um, Elrond is in the same position his dad is in that he is the only one that can save the world. Um which is a choice 
Not necessarily something I think is the strongest choice, but they are committing to it. And I, I don't I mind do it give... as a choice. I just wish it was better. Exp- like if they had just said, you know, we need to know where the mithril is. You mm-hmm. know, like we mm-hmm. we know like we know this mithril in the mountain. Only, maybe you know where it is, and you need to tell us. And he's like, I can't tell you. You know, like that would make more sense to me. But yeah. it's just like I think he's just keeping a secret of that there is mithril, which is more confusing to me you know what yeah I mean? yeah then, it definitely so it's a weird feels... mind like if they just said like location of it mm-hmm. um that would make it a little more clear and maybe that is what it eventually is going to be you know i, 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 I hope know. so i hope that there's a there's a line in the next three episodes that clears that up but but i, yeah. I think like the way they phrased it this episode was a little yeah it's like yeah it's a little vague anyway bit of a miss bit of a miss yeah. there uh so elrond also talks to Celebrimbor, who knew about the mithril from the start and that's oh. why he sent Elrond in to kind of see if there might be mithril, kind of, I guess. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I have another theory <laughs> that I actually... What is going on here? I didn't put this in the show notes, but yeah. I, I, if it's all right, I'd like to maybe go Please. into this a bit more. Why not? Here's my next theory. The elves are being stupid. Um, <laughs> Celebrimbor is just being really weird to me. And Gilgalad has the weight of the elven kingdom on his shoulders and is acting very much like, oh, I am deep in the darkness, kind of like Moody. Um, I have this theory that I feel like maybe Celebrimbor is already being influenced by sort of the maybe it's the blight of the trees or the the evil wow. that has happened because to me it seems like the and maybe it's not maybe i'm just trying to explain away bad writing and and <laughs> people are going to call me a shill in the comments that's fine <laughs> but um it it strikes me that like this is this is an interesting choice they're going with and i can't help but wonder if the reason behind that is because there is something else at play here mhm uh, as to why why Celebrimbor like hid the concept of the Mithril from Elrond. Yeah, right? yeah. Here, here is here is my kind of. I, I don't want to go too much into this. Just be, what I'm about to say because we have other things to talk about. But like, uh, did you see Top Gun Maverick, Don Marshall? Did you see, I did, did not you see actually. I did oh, not. Okay. Well, Top Gun Maverick is a great movie, and okay, the reason it's a great movie is because at no point. In the movie, are you confused about what is happening? Right <laughs> at the begin uh, at the beginning of the movie, they're like, "Hey, um, you need to do this mission," and they uh, explain all the parameters of the mission at the beginning of the movie. And then the whole movie, they're preparing for the mission. It's like, "Here's the mission," and they reiterate. By the way, in case you forget, the mission is this. The mission is this. Don't forget the mission. This is the mission. Here's what you need to do to do the mission. And then at the end of the movie, they do the mission. I'm not going to say what happens to the mission. Like I, I won't say who lives or dies or whether they succeed or not. But they go and attempt the mission. At no point are you confused about what's happening, <laughs> right? They're either talking about everyone's talking about the mission, or they're mm-hmm. thinking about the mission, or they're doing the mission. That's literally the whole movie, right? Um, I think uh, Rings of Power could take some lessons from that movie because I'm like, okay, so he what what was Elrond doing in the first scene in the first uh, like two episodes anyway? He was going in to to ask if Durin could help with the the tower, like they're yeah. their labor to help with the tower but then like then the next time we see the tower it's like midway complete and then durin is doing this other stuff he's mining for mithril and it's like okay so was he is he not working on the tower anymore like and then 
and then it's like, well, when we sent you in there, we knew that there was already mithril and we needed it. And it's like, okay, so were you hoping that Elrond would find the mithril or was that not even in the realm of possibility? You know, so I'm just like, what was Elrond doing in the first two episodes when it came, when it comes to Durin? I'm, it, it just is a little bit. It's it's disjointed. It definitely feels <laughs> and look, I yeah. I absolutely adore all of the Elrond Durin Disa scenes. I think yes. Sophia Nonvita is doing an amazing job when she is on screen, she captures it and the chemistry between them is great. The I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Overall plot of this though, um demands some thought and you kind of got to it feels like they're asking you to do a couple more mental gymnastics than you normally would in a uh no thoughts just it, vibes kind of way that the hard well, are in a, yeah in a thing that feels like it should be like relatively straightforward which is hey uh we need durin to do x mm-hmm. we need you to get durin to do x and by the way we're hoping that in doing so you will also discover why or something you know something like that but like it feels just a little bit more muddled than that maybe it's super clear to everyone else is watching but uh i, no, I just was, think was, the storytelling is a little bit yeah anyway it, it, yeah no, it, it could be a little bit uh clearer i think yeah. but yeah all right so elrond speaks to durin uh finds out he's lying about the table that's hilarious <laughs> this has been wanting a new table yeah it's uh it's funny stuff and then basically elrond says hey i we need the mithril and uh i need to know if i can break the oath of not talking about the mithril uh and so Durin says, all right, let's go. We'll see if we can get permission from my dad about it. Uh, so, and then that's, that's the Elrond Durin storyline. So any other thoughts on this? I, I, it's, it's a lovely scene between them. I love the chemistry between them. Great, great actors, great performances. Um, anything you else? Really, you really want to skip over the give me the meat and give it to me raw line? We're just going to gloss right over that. You played we, it at the beginning have, of... I don't think we have glossed over it. But <laughs> I, think we already, I think we already reacted to that one. <laughs> oh yeah. that's you know i have this horrible feeling that that's going to become the i hate sand of the <laughs> lord of the rings universe the I, you know that's the question is like when a line like that happens in the show do you think the showrunners knew what they were doing absolutely i, I, think, I think so. absolutely I think so. and yeah. they're yeah it's like you know <laughs> sorry let's move on let's move on okay. i'm not gonna right. make it right. we continue all right <laughs> But uh, there is also this dynamic where Durin's like, hey, I'm the one who holds all the keys here. You know, like, yeah. me? Little old me? Please repeat that five times. <laughs> it's um, a nice little back anyway. and forth. Yes, yes. So, And that is the Elrond-Durin storyline. Before we move on, Don Marshall, I do want to ask you, uh, if people are enjoying our scintillating chats here on Decoding TV, where can people find more of your work on the internet? I am Don Marshall. I go by Don Marshall 72 across all of my social media platforms. And that is my main one on TikTok. I am also on YouTube and Instagram, as well as Twitter and Twitch. I also have a Patreon where we do some live uh, streams. Um, and also want to uh, just give a huge shout out to everyone that has uh, sort of been a part of the community in the last uh, two weeks since the uh, Hobbits wore the merchandise. The response has been amazing and we are uh, in the midst of totaling up uh, the amount that we are going to be raising for charities. Uh, and, and it's a lot. It's a lot. We've, we've got a, we've got a lot. So thank you. I want to give a huge thank you again to everybody here. That's awesome. And if you want to hear the backstory behind what Don just said, uh, check out the video and also podcast episode on Decoding TV. I want to give a quick shout out to 
this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. We're also covering other shows, including She-Hulk as well as Andor. Uh, and acastofkings.com is a Decoding TV podcast covering House of the Dragon. Check that out. Finally, a big shout out to Episodic Medium, a great newsletter that I'd recommend. If you're enjoying listening to podcasts, uh, watching YouTube videos, and you also want to read about the shows that we're talking about, check out episodicmedium.substack.com. A great resource with awesome writers there. Uh, but yeah, those are some plugs we want to give you before we move on with what's going on in the Southlands and Numenor this week. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. All right, folks. Southlands. I guess Bronwyn is in charge now. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. she killed the orc. Nobody was listening to her, and now they're listening to her. And it's uh, they don't really seem to have any kind of like a hierarchy or, or leader. Hierarchy, there's, yes. there's no mayor of the Southlands that's like no, directing no. everything. But anyway, uh, there is this nice creepy scene between an orc and uh, Adar, who uh, he's looking at the sun and he's like, "Hey, do me a favor. Uh, give me your give me your arm." You know, give and, me your hand if we be friends, and Robin yes. shall respond. That's Shakespeare. Sorry. Um, yeah, and then the blisters anytime, pop out. Anytime a villain says "give me your hand," like physically, it, don't don't do it. Don't, don't do, do it. it. They're going to stab it. it. They're going to do something bad to it. Or in this case, let it bake in the sun until like these boils come. It's disgusting. It's really yeah. upsetting. Um, but I think Adar is reflecting on how he's going to miss this warmth because I guess. Whatever he's doing next is going to block out the sun in some way, right? Is is kind of my interpretation. Of that. I got my theories on that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll we'll find out. But uh, and he's like, I just want to, uh, I just want to see how the sun reacts to this guy's skin. So I I know what I'm going to be missing later. Um, anyway, <laughs> he's not a nice guy. Not a nice. No, guy. no. He's um, he's just bad. Uh, Bronwyn tries to rally the people, but they she kind of presents the dilemma that they have, which is we either got to swear fealty to this person and, uh, or, or vacate. Like that's, those right. are the two options. And she's like, who's, who wants to like fight these people? And a bunch of people's hands go up. And then this other guy, Waldrig is like, I don't. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing, one thing you can say about the ancestors, they were our ancestors and they were alive, you know, which I thought was yeah. a great line. I'm like, yeah, okay. There's a kind of logic to that. And he says, let's go and surrender to these people because at least then we'll live. 
Um, so, and I have to say, it's not unconvincing. Waldrick's like I could totally see why Waldrick would want to do what he's, he's doing in this. Yeah, episode, right? yeah. This is this is I think one of the more believable parts of of this whole world where there is such a conflict between like yeah let's just let's just surrender to the guy he's not gonna kill us if we ban bend the knee to borrow a game of thrones term um but you know there there might be some some sacrifices made along the way uh later <laughs> so they show up at uh at at ours oh and they also it's disclosed that the tunnel is complete right mm. So I guess uh, the tunnel being to the tower is what they're going to, or is it, I wasn't sure about where the tunnel is going to. That is unclear, but I have a, okay. Certainly it goes by, certainly it goes by the tower. Yeah, it goes by the tower. I have a sneaking suspicion that the reason, the, the reason they are digging it is not just because they are trying to stay out of the sun. Um, mm-hmm. I I think I think there's. Can I can I potentially do yeah. a slight spoiler Hit theory? It is. Okay. I think that we are about to see the creation of Mordor in a very Ooh. real way because you will remember back in episode four when everybody was coming to the tower. Uh, Bronwyn has a very particular one-off line. It's like, that makes every village from here to Orodruin. Orodruin is Mount Doom. Mm. But they call it Orodruin. It's not called Mount Doom yet, right? Because it's just a mountain um, at this point. And the the theory is that one of the mountains sort of in the distance may be Mount Dooms. I, I don't know if that's just something that, you know, the writers threw in there as an Easter egg and I'm reading too much into it or or what the deal is. But I have a feeling that we're there's there's more at play here. And, and mm-hmm. maybe I'm wrong. And I'm just trying to explain and it away. But Mordor is basically Sauron's home in uh, Yes. It's yes. where Mount Doom and Mordor are basically the same place. Is that right? Uh, or, kind of. Yeah. Mordor Mordor is just sort of that if you look at a map of Middle Earth, yeah. it's that bottom right corner that's sort of uh sectioned off by the mountain ranges. And um parts of it are we see in the movie covered in ash and soot and the volcanoes exploding all the time, but not all of it is. There's a place called um I believe it's the Sea of Nornin, which is a a, a, a lake or a sea, excuse me. It's a sea in um the sort of southeastern part of middle earth and there's farmland and that's where sauron keeps all of his captured uh warriors and the villagers to basically be the um the 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 slaves of uh to to provide food and um all of the sort of necessary things to keep an army yeah but for the purpose they're roughly in the same area is that yes. is that accurate yes. to say got it, got it um all right so we'll see if this ties into a big Fellowship of the Ring uh, uh, plotline slash location. Yeah. The the part where Waldrick and his companions show up to swear fealty to Adar is actually really cool. Like the way the music is done and they kind of all bow down. It's really like... Uh, it's haunting. That I think Bear McCreary yeah. did a great job constructing that scene as a, uh, as, a, as a way to sort of say, all right, cool. There were humans that did swear fealty to, to evil. Here's what happened. And it's very haunting. Waldrig pledges his loyalty to Sauron, and that does not make Adar happy, because I don't know if you're aware of this, but 
Adar is not Sauron uh, <laughs> and does not like to be mistaken for such. So, uh, <laughs> Waldrig speaks for all of us. You are Sauron, are you not? And it's like, <laughs> I don't know, dude. He might be. Really? Because he's no, a, he's an elf. Because no. I don't think so. if you if Sauron was an ex elf, you would probably know about it, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. But uh, and then he forces Waldrick to kill uh, this guy named Rowan, who is uh, what was Rowan's relationship to Waldrick? Uh, I don't know if they're related was or he just anything. Another this, townsperson. I think it's just a, yeah. This is Theo's friend that went with him. Uh, oh right, right, right. The, right, sword. Yeah, yeah. the same kid keeps popping up. Um, but I have uh, th- there's a nice little sort of callback to uh, both Tolkien and to the Peter Jackson movies. Tolkien has this thing where he likes to set up a plot point and then immediately cut away to it. It happens at the end of the Aragorn portion of Return of the King, um, where you know Pippin is fighting in Mount Doom um, or or uh, outside the Black Gate of Mordor, and then immediately it cuts to Frodo. Uh, Peter Jackson did this in the Two Towers movie, where Merry and Pippin see uh, this giant white figure. You think it's Sauron, and then immediately cuts uh, to someone else. Um, and so I think this feels like a little bit of a misdirection. I don't necessarily think that Rowan is dead yet. Mm. Yeah, because he you see him approaching Rowan, about to stab him, and then it cuts away. So maybe Rowan's still alive. Yeah. Uh, very possible. Very possible. Yeah. Uh, we then cut to a conversation between Theo and his would-be stepdad, um, Aaron Deer. Maybe maybe it's his dad. We I we still haven't seen Theo's ears. <laughs> we still have not seen Theo's ears yet. <laughs> and uh, Theo is not feeling great about stuff, and he is talking to Aaron Deer about how like why are you even helping us like elves you've policed us for centuries and now like the evil's finally here we're never going to be able to triumph and Aaron Deer tries to kind of like rally him and that's when Theo presents him with this weird blade that he has this weird sword I um, I love the fact that a teenager made a smart decision in this show like that like finally right like I feel like there are so many tv shows movies comic books whatever you want to call it the teenager does something stupid you know don't go into that room in the horror movie the killer's definitely in there i'm just like show them what you have and he does and it's not like kept secret and some big reveal to everybody like theo makes a good decision hats off to theo yeah uh i'm gonna be honest it caught me a little off guard you know, I, I was like, huh, like I didn't expect them to resolve the, the this this felt like a thing that was going to take till episode like seven or eight before it was resolved. But mm-hmm. they took care of it in episode five. Uh, it was surprising to me. That's all I'll say. Uh, they uh, Aaron D is like, hey, wait a second. This sword resembles uh, uh, sculpture in mm-hmm. the wall of this watchtower and concludes that it is key to whatever the enemy is building next. Basically, this this blade that they have. And that's why they need to come get it. Mm-hmm. Um. So. Anyway, any yeah. other major plot points or storylines to bring up about this uh, particular uh, stuff happening in the Southlands, Don? Uh, no, I I liked the Southland stuff. It, it wasn't like the the um, it wasn't the crazy stuff we saw in like uh episode three with Arundir in the sort of pit, yeah, digging it out. Um. I would love to see Ismael Cruz Cordova get way more screen time. I think he is doing a really great job as yeah. Arundir. He feels very elven to me. Like he he exudes that sort of elven presence. I think he's doing a great job. Agreed. Agreed. All right. 
Finally, the Numenor stuff. Let's get to it, right? right. So as... Subplot <laughs> last, hell, as we call it. La- last episode, uh, they had agreed, uh, you know, the, the Queen Regent had said, hey, we're, we're, we're going to Middle-earth. Numenor, we're sailing off to Middle-earth. And everyone apparently went from, we should never intermix with elves or help them to, all right, fine, let's definitely go, right? Because they're able to ease, according to Elendil, they're easy, able to easily fill up five ships. And in fact, Isildur really wants to be on the ship. And Elendil is like, I don't think you're quite ready. I mean, were you in the Sea Guard? Ooh, still fresh. Still fresh. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that was harsh. That was harsh, Dad. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Uh, this episode also deals like more with Halbrand hemming and hawing about whether or not he wants to do this. Um, we do see that he's actually forging weapons. That seems to be his happy place. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, how did that all work out? But then it's answered later in the episode that basically, uh, Don, you had pointed out last episode that uh, I guess they not only let Halbrand go, they gave him a guild crest uh, for telling them where uh, Galadriel was going. So, wow, really? Really? That was an I, amazing plea deal that uh, yeah, Halbrand struck. Yeah. Really, got out of jail, got a job, and all he had to do is give up this person so, he met a, like a give, week give, ago. Give up a location that they probably would have figured out, you know, 10 minutes after they actually figured it out. You know, but whatever. I don't know what the Numenorean justice system is like, so who knows. <laughs> um, and uh, and they, they, he has some tense conversations with Galadriel about who's using who because Halbrand is like, I don't want to go back. You know, I don't want to go back mm-hmm. to the Southlands. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I'm I'm cool here forging my swords. Like, I'm happy here. And Galadriel's like, well, hey, FYI, like, a lot of people are, you know, going back because of you. And so you better make this look good. And uh, it's tense. It's tense. So it any thoughts about Halbren's arc in this episode? Halbren's arc was kind of interesting in this one because we, we do sort of, towards the end of it, see um, the 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 blacksmith uh or not the blacksmith the forge scene we see that forge scene where he and galadriel are having that conversation it's like why are you so reluctant why do you keep fighting galadriel and um i i quite liked that scene um i will if it's all right kind of bring up the sort of intercutting of two specific scenes that we see um that have to do with halbrand so we see halbrand in the forge talking about the things he did in the southlands to survive it's like you don't know who i was uh before or uh, what is it you don't know what i did before i ended up on that raft you don't know how i survived we immediately cut to the southlands and see waldrick and rowan and the rest of the yes. southlanders bending the knee to adar so it in fact it was it was so weird that they cut to that scene in that moment because when they cut to it it was um slow motion i believe yeah yeah. And it made it feel like it was actually a flashback. So Yeah. Yeah. Didn't <laughs> didn't it feel like a flashback there, David? <laughs> didn't it just feel like a flashback? Mm-hmm. So what's your what's your theory there, Don Marshall? I had a theory for about ten seconds that maybe Hal Brand was Rowan and uh then Rowan <laughs> Almost get again. We don't see the wow, body. You are you are so far into this I'm, multiple I'm timeline theory, deep, dude. Way, too, way deep too deep into it, David. I if I'm wrong, I'm just gonna like just sit there with my head in my hands. Like, what was well, it all for? But we've only been talking about it for like two episodes worth of podcasts. So it's Fair. not you're not that far deep. But I I think like I, here's my take on it. I'm just gonna put this out there too. Is I think that uh, this is episode five. 
Mm-hmm. By episode seven, I think we will know whether the Southland stuff is is the same as yeah. you know is in the same yeah. timeline. And it feels to me really like they're setting it up so that the Numenorians will come and save the Southlanders from Adar. Like that's mm-hmm. in a conventional show, that is what we believe is happening, right? Mm-hmm. Is the the Numenorians are coming to save the Southlands. Now, I think that is in fact what is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh you believe Maybe multiple timelines. Maybe we're actually seeing Halbrand's origin story. That w- that is possible. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I would say it was, it's quite a bit of a stretch based on what the show has shown us thus far. Especially with multiple, the things you'd have to believe for that to happen. Multiple I meteors. I know. Um, Halbrand's name is actually Rowan. You know, <laughs> Halbrand used to be friends with Theo. It's like all these, all these things you'd have to. Uh, Rowan actually survives that scene. You know, like all these things you have to believe for your theory to be true. Um, it's a stretch. Yeah. It's a stretch. Yeah, I love it's it. It's a though. stretch. This is this is half. This is half the fun, right? There's uh-huh, actually uh-huh. five meteors, and there's a sixth we didn't see. Or it's often that, like, no, just the the ridiculousness. Uh, I recognize that, but uh, half of that is, you know, obviously, I don't believe nearly all of these theories uh, equally, and. Um, my, my thing in TV is right. If I don't see the body, I don't think the character is dead. Yes. It's just my, that's just me though. <laughs> You're like, I'm just a simple man with simple pleasures. Like I want to see a dead body when a character dies. <laughs> oh, when you put it like that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh. So... <laughs> So there is a training montage where Galadriel needs to train people on how to fight orcs. I thought I this was really it's it's really well done. You know, like I I don't know that it adds anything to the story. Like it doesn't move the plot. Like she's not like teaching them super useful information, but it's really well done. It's like it, it looks like she actually did it. It looks like they're actually like physically making con. It's it's really I love it. I, yeah, no, you know, we've that, seen a lot of scenes like this. You know, yeah, um, yeah. In uh, Game of Thrones, there's a character called Ciro Pharrell that kind of did a similar thing with, uh, although using real blades, that was the thing that really threw me. I'm like, dude, use were they using swords. real blades? It looked oh, like they're using real blades. I just assume they're using dulled edge <laughs> blades, so uh, they get the weight yeah. right. Because when you when you fight with like a wooden sword, you don't get the mm. right. I, I used to, um, mm. I did like some stage acting stuff. They, like, they used dulled using... edge blades in a way. You're definitely right, Don Marshall, because they probably used dulled edge blades when they shot it. So, oh, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, anyway, great, great, great sequence, and uh, Galadriel's a badass, and oh, this yeah. reinforces that. You know, Morvith Clark looked like she was having so much fun in that scene, and yes. just like the way they shot it with the, the this was one of those moments. I'm like, that's where you use the slow motion. Yeah, give me the the graceful elf taking on five people, dual wielding, just like yes. inject that right into my veins. Love it, love it. Galadriel and Halbrand have more conversations. You know, Galadriel reflects on like why she it is she ke- keeps fighting and and how her friends tried to stop her from fighting because she was becoming the evil that she was fighting. And I do think that's an interesting idea of like that she has that self awareness that she's like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't you know, left unchecked I might become that which I hate. Yeah, uh, but she's also like I, I keep fighting because I have to keep fighting, and it's like oh, okay, well that's not really super satisfying answer nor does she intend to stop i should point out no she's not like literally donning uh, armor i'm like introspective about this but i should stop i should stop fight you know like she's not like that so she's just like gotta keep fighting even though uh it might lead to bad things happening maybe we'll see some of them happen some of those bad things happen during the course of the show so i think we might anything else about the galadriel storyline i mean eventually 
they decide to move forward sailing anyway, which is what we thought was going to happen at the end of the last episode. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely thought that this would uh, this episode would pick up the pace. And this is one of those things I think I, we talked about in the beginning. The pacing doesn't necessarily match our expectations. And maybe that's done intentionally. But uh, yeah, definitely feels like we could have moved things along a little bit here. There is an interesting scene where Isildur is talking to his friends and, you know, he's trying to, like, get on board the ship and there's a whole subplot around that. But Isildur is marching to go to the ship and he finally is able to convince his dad and everyone that he should have a place on there. And his sister, Aarion, uh, is really upset. She's, like, anti-war. We should not... Yeah, yeah. Um, we should not go to war in Afghanistan kind of deal. Uh, and you had an interesting observation about the scene where uh, Aarian is trying to like cry out to her brother. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So um, th- there's the whole, you know, the Farazan's son, Kemen subplot where like Aarian is trying to convince Kemen. Kemen is trying to convince Farazan. Farazan basically pulls a, everybody out of my room i control this thing i thought that was a really i thought that was a really well done scene just kind of showing farazan's control and influence uh in like a microcosm i feel like we're probably going to see a little more of that uh if we go revisit numenor in this season i'm just gonna say that i really like that scene between farazan and kemen because it is the first time in the show in which the dynamic between elves and men has been discussed at length like the Mm -hmm. whole time i'm trying to figure out like we're in episode five. And I'm like, what? what is the dynamic between like, why, why do they hate each other? And why would they agree to do this? And Farazan explains like, actually there's advantages, there's strategic advantage to us going mm-hmm. and doing this, which I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I didn't, wouldn't have thought of that. Right. Yeah. I thought so, that was a really well-written scene. And and that's what I was saying at the beginning, Don, about how I wish the show was either slower or faster. It's that kind of stuff yep. that I wish we'd had more. Of. Like the, the first season could have been just that, you know, of scenes like that debating, discussing and, or, uh, figuring out ways to like ramp that up in intensity, um, but instead we just get this one scene, which is is pretty good between Farazan and Kemen. But yeah, definitely anyway. want to see more of that as uh, as the political intrigue uh, continues. Um, but yeah, the the Aarian scene was um, was really interesting to me because I saw it as you know Isildur has this uh, moment where you know, Kemen's trying to destroy the boat and Isildur's trying to stow away and they fight and there's a lantern and the ship explodes and everything or two of the ships explode because um, the fire goes from one to another and they lose two of them and. Um, Ellen Deal sort of says, "All right, cool. You've you've proven your worth. Let's let's get you here. I know you really want to. You, you did it." And um, I saw it as sort of like pageantry and gallantry for like the boys going off to war. Um, but it very much reminded me of Tolkien's experiences in World War One, where like the thought of going off to war was very um, gallant and exciting, and there's pomp and circumstance, and then we see Isildur's sister, Aarian, and she's crying because she knows that there's a chance her brother doesn't come back. And that is kind of heartbreaking and very true to life in what actually happened in Tolkien's life. He went off to war with a bunch of his friends and a bunch of his friends didn't make it back. And I think that was a really, really poignant moment in the show. Yeah, uh, it's... Really interesting just because everyone's so gung-ho about it. And it's nice to have a reminder that, hey, actually, you're going to fight this battle. I, th- I think it's also kind of an indication that it's been a really long time before any of these people have seen, you know, 
since any of these people have seen any fighting at all, like mm-hmm. they probably don't understand what the horrors of war truly are. No, um, no. If so, they wouldn't be so gung ho about, about going through it probably, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, you talked about the Kemen and, uh, uh, Isildur subplot where he tries to blow up the shit. Cause Kemen <laughs> is really not for this war a- a- as well. Mm-hmm. And, that's a fairly legitimate viewpoint uh, in the show too. Um, any other? So then the episode ends with them triumphantly sailing off three ships, not five, mm-hmm. uh, into the sunrise or sunset at Numenor, off to Middle Earth to the Southlands to help the Southlanders out and defeat evil. Where the episode ends. Any other thoughts on the Numenor subplot? Uh one detail I did want to point out that I thought was kind of interesting because they hadn't established it before. Uh, Kemen, when he's having that conversation with uh, his dad, Farazon, refers to Muriel, the queen regent, as your cousin. And they hadn't previously established that. And that's, that is true in the books. The, uh, the, the queen regent, Muriel, is cousins with Farazon. They are, they are related. Um, so there's some familial blood there. Um, and maybe some, some possible tension, um, because, and again, I'll come back to that Kemen Farazan scene because it was so emblematic of like what I really like. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market about this episode and one of those moments i was talking about at the beginning where i think the show can really shine that was a that was a really great scene for me i thought like i really got we got sort of an explanation of what's going on we got some power dynamics it was very um it was very sort of well crafted i think yeah and i i wish we had literally like five or ten x of that kind of thing i i I honestly feel like the show needs to, again, slow down or speed up, like slow down and give us more of that, what those dynamics are or, or else what it risks doing is none of this stuff feels like it has any stakes, right? Right. Oh, sure. They're going to war. Great. I don't know what the implications of that are. You know, they're Numenor is going to, I don't, I barely understand why that's a good or bad thing, you know? Um, And I think that's kind of uh, what, the challenge of the show is right now is to balance all these different plot lines, make them all feel significant, make them all feel like they have stakes and also make it clear what the mission is. Pop gun. Got to make it clear what the mission is. (laughs) All right. Got to know what the mission is. All right. I think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of decoding TV. Uh, find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Also find us on Twitter, TikTok, YouTube at decoding TV is our username. Uh, We'll see you on all of those places. In the meantime, he is Don Marshall. I'm David Chen. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.